And I think that when you're now starting off, or even if you are any project that you want or anything in life, it's better to be able to have those small wins, get engagement, rather than to force it down somebody's throat. Or if you're in an existing business, or if you're in a new business, trying to do too much will have unintended consequences, whether it be like your family, whether it be your time, your sleep, or your health. So the biggest thing that I learned was a, is a, really is to get those small wins, right? Start off small and slowly build momentum. From Caribbean Ideas in Trinidad and Tobago, this is Uptick, a part of the Caribbean Innovation Content Network. Uptick is a show that brings you the stories of Caribbean entrepreneurs and corporate innovators that are building the next generation of great companies. These are the stories you don't typically hear of how these leaders are working to build brands and businesses that can not only impact the Caribbean world, but also have an impact on the global business stage. Their stories will move you, inspire you, push you to take action, and perhaps spark your next big idea. I'm your host, Chike Farah. On the one hand, I bet many Caribbean entrepreneurs out there wish that they had an opportunity to inherit a great brand and business that a family member had built up, where they wouldn't have the stress of figuring out every single thing from scratch. And that's the opportunity that today's guest had. But you know, when you really think about it, it's also incredibly hard to take on something that someone else has built and come into it, stamp your own ideas onto it, and also take it further into new waters. Today, we'll explore the journey that Alex Suchong has taken. Alex is CEO of Excellent Stores, a department store operation that was started by his grandfather in Trinidad, but that is now operating in multiple markets around the Caribbean. But there is much more to this story. You see, this is a time when Caribbean businesses can't hide from global competition, reaching us right on our doorsteps. It's a time when rapidly evolving tools, technologies, and techniques threaten to make almost every business in every sector disappear unless the leaders and employees of those businesses have the courage to learn and then master those very disruptive technologies and techniques. And that's what I love about Alex's journey. In his case, it was the need to embrace e-commerce as a retailer in the face of not just local, but global competition, including Amazon. You see, he recognized that regardless of whether you're leading the smallest startup or the largest pan-regional corporation, that today's Caribbean leader must be prepared to take on global competition that is far bigger, has more resources, that if you aren't equal parts careful and brave, will crush you without a moment's thought. In the process, he's tackled the challenge of stepping into big shoes and facing the high expectations not just from those who've come before, but the high expectations of a rapidly changing Caribbean consumer base. But what I love about his evolving story is that like every innovator I talk to, he's been willing to shift approach and pivot. He's been willing to persevere through all manner of challenge and all of this while maintaining a commitment to a core mission and purpose. He is today's guest on the new season two of the Uptick Caribbean podcast. He is Alex Suchong, CEO of Excellent Stores. All right. Well, um, very excited for this conversation to catch up with my good friend Alex Suchong of uh, Excellent Stores on uh, this Uptick podcast today, um, you know, featuring a, another Caribbean innovator who's doing really interesting things. So welcome, Alex. Great to have you. Uh, thank you, GK. And thank you. Welcome to all the listeners. I'm happy to be on. All right. Great. Well, you know, as we've been um, diving into these conversations in, in season two, there have been a few themes that have been really interesting. You know, we're recording this um, now, you know, almost a year into um, 
uh, pandemic at the start of 2021. Um, and this season, we're really exploring themes around perseverance, around purpose, around, you know, pivoting and some of the, the evolutions that, that, that people are making. So I know there's going to be some really interesting things to talk about on all of those topics. But why don't we just sort of start with, um, you know, I always like to get into the origin story of, of all of the superheroes that, you know, we talk to. So, so Alex, tell, a little, tell us a little bit about, you know, where you grew up, where in the Caribbean you grew up and, and your background and your journey um, to, towards running a, a major retail and e-commerce operation. Sure. And uh, th thanks for having me again, TK. I mean, I think that uh, our story really began with my grandparents uh, coming off the ship as immigrants uh, from China and landed in, in Port of Spain, Trinidad. Um, actually, they eventually went to San Fernando in South Trinidad. And, you know, most of the life back then was just really trying to survive and look for a new life and look for new changes uh, um, you know with uh, what was happening in china at the time where it, there was this extreme poverty there was a lot of invasion with japan at the time wars and you know looking for a new life so coming to trinidad was really a new start and a new beginning and one of the things that my grandparents always told us is that uh, um, you know you need to be able to provide value um, in anything that you do, you need to do any, everything that you do. It has to be excellent work because, you know, as Chinese people are generally known for, uh, it's hard workers. And the one thing that they brought to our family and our family values is continuing to do hard work. So they actually started off working in a shirt factory, right? And eventually when the shirt factory went belly up, they had saved up enough money um, with all the coins and putting it under their pillows and, and what have you. And they bought out the first shirt factory. So that was 62 years ago, back in 1958. Um, we're into our 63rd year now. And essentially, uh, as they, they bought the shirt factory, they then opened an import business, right? Bringing goods from China. And, you know, most people in the Caribbean would know those tie-dye types of slippers, you know, that we all wore as kids, right? Um, so it started off as a variety store. Um, essentially, my, um, uh, we, my grand parents um, and, the, and my uncles were all in the business. My dad is one of six boys and uh, that was life. And when I came along, uh, it was also life. We would, after school, we would have to go to work and we have to go to the shop and we have to pack the shelves and we have to go to the warehouse. Um, and in fact, I recall as a toddler, our room where everyone slept um, was also slash a warehouse. So we had boxes upon boxes and a little mattress on the floor. So eventually the business grew. Uh, my father came back from university uh, from Canada in uh, 1975 and uh, grew the business from a variety store to an excellent stores, which is actually the department store retail. So from a one store to, you know, a four or five store network with, with a shirt, with an shirt factory actually. <laughs> and, um, and then I came back in 2012 um, with the mandate essentially to transform and modernize the company, all its underlying processes, expand the local markets, you know, where we've lost market share, and then use that technology and the infrastructure that we've now built into expanding into regional markets. And, then, and here we are today. Well, and that's, that's, that's fascinating. I love to hear kind of that, that multi-generational aspect. I think, um, you know, my father, uh, before he passed away, he used to say to me that, you know, I stood on the shoulders of, of my father and, uh, you know, I want you to stand on mine and, you know, kind of create that, that, that generational thing. A lot of the times when I talk with people 
um, on on uptake, I usually go, okay, you know, who is your in, you know, who is your influence or who are your influences that sort of led you to, um, you know, being at least in this case an entrepreneurial like an entrepreneurial journey. And in your case, you clearly have you know multiple generations of that. So you talked about one aspect that that has been kind of consistent, which is delivering value. What other things did you see at a young age from your you know, from some of your influences, um, you know, parents, grandparents that that you have brought forward uh, to to how you lead today. That's a great question, um, uh, TK. Uh, other than perseverance and hard work, right, which we've sort of established already, the biggest thing is really honesty and integrity. Um, when I think back to my grandparents and even my dad, one of the biggest things that they've always instilled in us is that you never have never do anything that would tarnish your name. You never do anything that would hurt other people. And at the end of the day, treat others as you'd like to be treated. You know, so in a lot of Caribbean islands, you know, and a lot of, you know, these uh, smaller independent states, you know, where we're separated from, you know, the world and, and what have you, and many things can happen, right? It's easy to for somebody to grease your hand, to let things happen, you know, and especially when there's a significant amount of inefficient uh, infrastructure in place, right? But the one thing that uh, my grandparents and certainly my parents uh, did is that they would never get involved in that, you know, and what you need to do is that when you do business, right, you or anything that you do, how you treat your staff on the floor, how you treat your employees, you have to do it with honesty and integrity. And that is some, something that I think that we've lived by and I would never do anything right now um, God forbid I do anything that would tarnish my grandparents' good name. So uh, that has lasted us um, uh, for 62 years, and we're hoping that oh, that will continue with that good work ethic combined with the perseverance and so on for another 62 years. Yeah, no, that's that's great. Yeah, I think you mentioned that um, you know your 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 father had gone away to study, and I know that you know I think we we both um, you know after. Um, uh, St. Mary's went to, to Canada. Tell, tell, tell us a little bit about, you know, your studies and, and your work in Canada before coming back. Um, you know, what were some of the things that, that you learned that, because that, that, uh, I know as we've talked over the years, that there are certainly aspects of that experience that, you know, it was sort of like, you know, go learn and then come back and bring that, but then merge that merge that into what you do. So, so to, uh, that, that's an interesting thing to talk about. Absolutely. I mean, I think that uh, moving to Canada was probably one of the best things for me. Uh, you know, we were fortunate that we had two generations of family in the business already. So a lot of people knew um, my name and a lot of people knew who my father was. So moving to Canada was a really great experience because no one knew who I was and I had to fight uh, to, to go to school. I had to get uh, my own part-time job. Um, I had to go take the bus just like everybody else. And you know, when sometimes you're young and you run out of money, well, that's too bad. You are out of money. <laughs> so um, it was a great experience. We, I went to uh, University of Toronto at Scarborough. Um, we took business. And um, essentially, I moved into the accounting path um, in, that, in that stream. And what I found was that that was certainly an excellent way to get into business because everything has to go through the books. And if it's not on the books, then, then something's funny going on. Um, so it's very, very, I, I worked with um, KPMG, 
and some other small and medium-sized accounting firms and got a variety of experience from uh, owner-managed businesses uh, focusing on small businesses particularly as well as financial institutions and doing a couple of uh, forensic audits so you can see um, you know where things can go wrong i do believe that you know that provided a significant basis uh, for me going forward a breadth of uh, experience and then i joined uh, sobeys which is the third largest grocery in canada in grocery retail um, one of the defining moments i think in my career working there i spent about six years within the marketing department uh, as the finance lead we launched a loyalty program, a credit card, and a data analytics warehouse. You know, so being one member of a 10-person team and trying to launch this across the country was certainly one of the highlights of my career. And, you know, because it was so intense and because grocery is perishable, you have to have uh, good processes in place. Uh, you need, you have a significant amount of competition and it was very stressful. So bringing a lot of those uh, insights and experience back home uh, was certainly, you know, it was, it was certainly great for my development and my career. And then bringing that back home, you know, how do I, how do I implement, you know, a lot of these learnings and adapt it, you know, to local Caribbean culture and what, you know, uh, some of the challenges that we have and how do we, we adjust to suit. Right. So when you came back, so so you came back in a finance role. Um, initially, and then kind of, then kind of eventually assumed kind of full leadership from there. That's correct. Yes, uh, um, we I started off as the uh, controller, right, doing the books, the debits and credits, and making sure I reported on the numbers. And as, at the same time, you know, uh, I then moved into the CFO role, and then within now but a year and a half, I've then taken over the CEO CEO role. Um, over all of our retail operations. And uh, my parents have then moved into managing the real estate properties. So I now have full control over all of our retail businesses and all the programs and activities and the underlying processes that support the retail business here locally, as well as when we had moved to St. Lucia, we was our first expansion out of Trinidad and Tobago. And we had established a, uh, an excellent stores retail branch in 2018 in St. Lucia. Great. Yeah, you know, when I did Uptick Season 1, a lot of the conversations were with folks who were, you know, in, in, in more emerging um, businesses and, and, and they were kind of getting going. There were some years in and they were kind of expanding. And this year I decided to take things in, in, a, in a different direction and have a, a little bit more of a mix of folks, folks who, um, you know, are, are still in that stage. And then, you know, folks like yourselves, you know, where it's a very well-established, much larger operation. I think that people can learn from, from, from every stage. And, but one of the things that's interesting about your experience is that while you were coming into a, an established or, you know, a long established business, you were charged with and tasked with, as you said, modernizing this business, right? And in and in retail in particular, I mean, certainly for me, spent a lot of time um, in in North America and the States in terms of my professional career. You know, you see the rise of Amazon. I mean, you know, um, you know, wife and family from from Seattle. So I've seen, literally, seen how Amazon has changed the skyline of of Seattle. And and you've had to contend with that. You know, talk a little bit about. First, I guess just the the competitive pressures and change from being, as you said, in our own sort of Caribbean bubble, you know, kind of protected, you know, a little bit um, offset from 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 the world. To in in your industry, 
I mean, look, you know, so I order it online, it comes to the skybox and so on. So, so you really had to adapt, not just to local competition, but to, but to global competition. What has that experience been like, you know, as, as a leader of a business? How have you kind of managed that, 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 that challenge? Uh, sure. I mean, I think, um, you know, as you said, you know, uh, the, the um, online shopping within the Caribbean, it, it's been around for more than a decade. And what we found is that, you know, it was a significant transformation of customers' behavior and habits. And essentially, what you're looking at is that you have a disconnect. Um, people are already shopping online and they're getting their online experiences from Amazon. However, in, in a local market, there, there was just a habit of coming into stores. But as stores became, you know, as traffic started increasing, you know, as people's lives started getting busier, you don't no longer have that habit of physically walking into store. You have a screaming child in the back. So something had to change. And the only option that you had was then to go online and then order from Amazon. So one of the major issues that we had within the country at the time is that you have a significant foreign exchange leakage. And at the time, roughly around 2013 and 14, the Central Bank of Trinidad and Tobago had estimated about 500 million U.S. dollars leaves Trinidad and Tobago to pay for credit card payments. For a small country, for 500 million U.S. dollars leaving for credit card payments, that's certainly significant. Uh, so for, for our organization, while, yes, I did come into a legacy business, it almost seemed like it was even more difficult because you had a business that was established for 50 years at the time, right? And we had all our staff, the culture was geared only to physical stores. And even for modernizing it, what it meant is that you had to introduce computers and you had to introduce barcodes and you had to introduce a lot of data. Uh, so I remember speaking to my warehouse manager and she was like, you want me to use a computer? Right? What, is, what, what is that computer? Is it going to take away my job or eat me? Or, you know, like I'm exaggerating a little bit, but the, but the, the fact is that you had a huge cultural shift. You know, so so although although it, it, it um, you had a legacy business, it almost was very difficult. Now you had fifty years of ingrained processes and habit, and what we found it was difficult because even when we launched our online site in twenty fourteen, uh, everyone from you know my parents down to the warehouse manager to the branch managers would just ship all the goods out to the branches and then we had nothing for e-commerce so we would be found was almost all because were paid for already but they were sold in the stores and we couldn't fulfill them so it really was a cultural transformation more so than it was a digital transformation and that right. certainly was one of the challenges how, so how did you go about you know navigate because yeah, change management i mean you know, even for, um, you know, us at Caribbean Ideas, different industry or different, you know, sector, smaller company. But when we made the shift from being digital only to to full service, um, you know, tons of change management and, and, and challenge to kind of help people adapt and so on. How did you approach that? What worked? What didn't work? Where, where did you bump your head? Where, you know, what did you what did you find in terms of that formula over time? Well, I first, first of all, I think what we needed to do was we needed to be able to show proof that this e-commerce thing, that the computer was actually working. And what it meant was that getting metrics, we needed data, and we needed to be able to establish the, the link between, for example, when you just sent, sent, sent out a, uh, a, an email blast, 
right? How do we then link uh, th those emails to those customers to the actual uh, click-through, right? And the conversion of the of those sales, right? So so then showing that you know you can do an email blast for next to nothing, right? As opposed to putting an ad in the paper, right? So and then you can there therefore start it to generate activities that this is directly related. And for example, within specific categories, we were able to sell out all our agent inventory because we did specific identifiable and trackable uh, promotions. Uh, so that was certainly the one thing that we needed to be able to do that, uh, to be able to prove it. And then the second thing that we needed to do really was more on a total transformation of how, uh, how using the computer and using automated processes actually makes your life a lot easier. You can find the item exactly in the warehouse where it's supposed to be, and if it's not there, then somebody has taken it. So it made life a lot easier by demonstrating small wins, um, you know, but when, we, when you had to do that for close to 90,000 items, even more so, the data became more and more important. So now you now have a huge sample set where you have millions data points and then we had to collate that information to summary form to say look what the computer did mm -hmm. it found mm -hmm. where we were losing a ton of money right and get you got that buy-in so yeah so i mean there's there's a, a couple interesting things inside there because i hear elements of sort of you know small wins test and learn i hear elements of data and analytics as well and just sort of like bringing in that that data culture which is which is a huge way and sort of like show show and prove along the way to kind of change minds change habits which is pretty powerful how how did that manifest on the customer end because as you said customers were already you know adapting and so on but they were accustomed to um looking looking externally for what they wanted and bringing it in so you've had to try to go on this journey to establish yourself as a credible alternative sitting here in the local market. So, so how have you managed that? How have you had to kind of achieve that? Similar things, different, different tactics? How did you do that? Well, from the customer side, you know, one of the biggest things that we had was trust. Um, because what we found was that more people felt comfortable placing their credit card you know, with Amazon or PayPal, and no local company can ever be good enough than my favorite Amazon site. So, you know, um, so from a customer perspective, there's a couple of things that we needed to do. One, we needed to demonstrate that we have secure payments and through our local bank and through First Atlantic Commerce was at, at the time, and, and we still use First Atlantic Commerce, show that your credit cards transaction are secure. Second thing is that we needed to be able to um, use search engine optimization to be able to get up on top of the Google searches. You know, so people say, oh, they're looking for a baby monitor, right? Boom, Excellent Stores has it. And then you don't have, you can get the item within two to four days as opposed to waiting for the Skybox, which probably could take a week. And if something went wrong for whatever reason, you can come into any particular store and still get the warranty. You know, so that was the second thing in terms of, you know, being able to sort of have it locally. Um, available and online and getting up in their face wherever they're searching. And I think the last thing was really to be able to, from a pricing standpoint, we needed to demonstrate that when you're looking online and you're making that decision to purchase uh, on Amazon, say, say it's $5, right, 5 US, most people do a straight conversion, say, what, 5 US? Wow, that's so cool, right? That's so cheap. But even though some people know that they have to pay a Skybox charge and an air freight charge and customs and duties, 
those don't really add up when you're making the purchase decision. So we had to go on an education campaign. And right, even right now, every two years, what we do is that we take about 200 items across Amazon that we sell. We do a, a comparison and we actually purchase those items on Amazon, land them in different Skybox companies and demonstrate that we are about 30 to 40% cheaper still because we buy direct from the manufacturer, we have economies of scale and we use ocean freight. So at the end of the day, the landed cost is 30 to 40% cheaper. We're not cheap on everything, but you know, it, it certainly is an education campaign and getting people on board to say, oh, you show me the numbers, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, and you know, one of the themes that you know, some for some people, they 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 they, they feel that the word is is overused <laughs> after the pandemic, which is which is pivoting. Um, but I always kind of talk about, you know, when you're going somewhere in a in a sailboat. Not that I'm an expert sailor, but I like the analogy. Um, you know, <laughs> you, you kind of tack left, tack right. You kind of fix mm -hmm. your, you know. You fix your eyes on a destination. You kind of go in a winding way, and and one of the things that you've done and you recently announced um, is you know pulling back from some of your brick and mortar locations, closing some of those stores, and really pushing even more chips in on e-commerce. So even though you've been on this journey as you've mentioned since two thousand fourteen, and 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 so it's not like it's it's a it's a sudden change. But still, that was a little bit of a of a shock to to the market or to some people in the market and to some of the customers. That's a pretty big that's a pretty big shift. Can you talk a little bit about you know the the path of getting to that decision? I know it wasn't just because of the pandemic, um, you know, but talk a little bit about you know coming to that place and and making a decision that that was that big. I think you hit the nail right on the head, you know, Chike, because um, it wasn't a decision as a result of the pandemic. You you had a decade of cost shifting customer behavior, right? And, you know, what we were looking at was adoption. As more people got on to the e-commerce um, train, if you will, you know, then we would continue to ramp up our activities there. With the pandemic, it's just really accelerated that, you know, and... Um, when you now have a, the country in Trinidad and Tobago going through a prolonged recession going on for about three or four years now, you have lower customer traffic in the stores. Um, and now you slap on a pandemic and people are definitely not coming out or you have less than half of the foot traffic that you did before. All of a sudden now it just becomes extremely uneconomical to operate these larger bricks and mortar stores. You know, so, you know, for... And, and what we did find was that there was, on average, we we're getting about 1,400% increases on our e-commerce platform. You have 60,000 new visitors every month, right? And then you have conversion rates that are starting to go into the double digits. So, you know, and even triple digits, depending on certain months. So it became a no-brainer very quickly is that from an economic standpoint, if we now have limited resources, if we now have limited foreign exchange, why am I continuing to fight, you know, and burn all these, uh, these this cash, overdraft facilities, you know, and stretch my little bit limited foreign exchange into these six massive bricks and mortar stores that no longer can be sustainable from a foot traffic and a top line sales basis. You don't have the top line, you can't pay your rent. You know, so at the end of the day, it really became a survival um, uh, move. But at the same time, although 
you're reducing the ex your expenditures, what you're now doing is that you now actually have the ability and the resources to continue to enhance the customer experience, delivery, logistics, and invest more into technology in those physical stores to enhance the customer experience and make it so much better than what it is. And, and that's on the physical stores. And right. on the online side, definitely on that too as well, we can invest more. So there. So I think it, it, it was happening, but the pandemic just, you know, accelerated it significantly. Push it over the line. Yeah, you know, the, the marketing guy in me gets intrigued about the implications for brand and certainly one of the other things you said, CX or, or customer experience. Um, because, you know, in, in so with, some, with some customers, you're going to have that in-store, you know, sort of direct relationship. Other customers, you're not. So, so I'm curious about how you see customer connection, like particularly with, you know, um, the customers who, you know, new customers you might be reaching um, that are really interacting with you only in a, in a more online e-commerce scenario. What, how are you thinking about that from a marketing standpoint as you go forward? Again, a great, great question. I think that because our business has, is a legacy business, it also is multi-generational. So you have a wide section, cross-section of customers from people that are my parents' age that are getting into their 70s, right? You, and you also now have the up-and-coming young kids. Most of the kids now, right, especially in this pandemic, they have some sort of device. And at the end of the day, while we're not really, we're actually not targeting children, right, the, what you're thinking is that, you know, how then do you uh, integrate all these different experiences to be able to get things and, and allow um, people to know our brand. Um, the the thing, what so what we have to do is that we have to find that balance between a, a truly omni-channel approach. So we have those people like my parents' age and grandparents who have the habit of coming in stores and they will continue to come in stores and therefore that's why our physical network will continue to be very important. But you now have many different types of uh, new users uh, who are looking for something local, economical, but at the same time have a similar experience that you have with Amazon. So if you have something that becomes very, very easy, so you have a lot of the kids uh, who are like 13 and up, for example, that have phones, right, and then can send products to their parents to go and buy. Those are the things that we need to be able to do um, to be able to get that brand recognition and to be able to say, oh, look at that, they have something local and the site looks clean and fresh and the experience is very similar. We, don't, we haven't got it 100% right, for sure, but that's what you know, the, this uh, store optimization and digital transformation strategy will allow us to do to be able to enhance that experience. Because at the end of the day, it's about creating an opportunity for people to spend less time on the road or in stores and spend more time with their families. Right. And, and, you know, actually going to, we will touch on that um, as we go along, because I want to hear a little bit more about that in, in your context. I think, you know, how people find balance and so on as leaders is a really important area to spend some time on. And so, so maybe let's kind of go in that direction a little bit around leadership. You know, on the one hand, you know, I'm a, I'm a younger entrepreneur or I'm coming up or I have a side hustle or I'm building a business and I'm trying to go, you know, and scale up. And I'm like, OK, I'm listening to Alex and, you know, I'm, I'm hearing some transformation. But, you know, he, he's coming from a bigger, you know, a bigger place, more resources, et cetera, et cetera. But I think one of the things that's kind of interesting about your experience is that, you know, you, you're 
you know, fairly young leader. You you had you had experiences and mentors just even within the family. But you had to learn a lot of things as well because of this shift that you were taking. So like, what are some of the personal hurdles that you faced in kind of assuming leadership of this going concern and kind of trying to take it into a, a direction? Uh, I think that um, one of the biggest things is when you're now starting off as an entrepreneur, and I would like to think that even though that I did come into a legacy business, at the end of the day, I had no money to start this business and I was not allocated any money, even though I was a controller and CFO, right? The family above said, mm -hmm, you're not doing this with any money at all, right? You have to find, use your own computers and do it yourself, right? So often find times what that means when you have limited resources in that area um, means that you have to put all the effort in yourself. And it, that can be taxing on the family, just as you said. Uh, but I think what we needed to do was to be able to, even if you're a young entrepreneur or you're in a, in a legacy business that is trying to start something new, you need to be able to rely on your people and other people that who have a similar goal. Because at the end of the day, you can't do it all yourself. And you, if you burn out and it's all re, uh, resting on you, there's no way that one, you can get the business up and running. And then secondly, you may not have a family anymore because you're so distant from them. Right. So, so, so in terms of the work-life balance, you need to be strategic in terms of how, you, how much effort do you put in, how much effort your team puts in. And if you had to do it, you know, okay, I can take two hours from you and three hours from you and, and what have you, and then build shorter goals. Um, uh, and you said something that was uh, very important is having mentors. One of the things that I think as new entrepreneurs and young entrepreneurs that are now starting and getting business is that there's so many things to learn. And if you can learn from someone who has made those mistakes, you can probably skip one or two steps. Because especially when you're now starting a family and you're now starting a business, resources are very limited. The one thing that you don't really have time to do or can afford to do is make all the same mistakes that other people have been made before in the past. So a key thing would be able to is to find mentors, and there are lots of different young entrepreneurial organizations within Trinidad as well as across the Caribbean uh, that have that take men, uh, young entrepreneurs under their wing and continue to guide them. Those mentors also have the experience and the connections to be able to put you into the right places. And so we've actually had a number of people that uh, that have come to us to say, "Hey." I'd like you to give this young storybook reader, uh, story writer, a chance, right? And yeah, and then we would place a couple orders and just to kind of get them on their feet and what have you. So those are very, very key things and knowing that you can't do it yourself and coming from the background and the cultural history that I have, um, we always wanted, we need to do it ourselves. But the reality is, is that what sense is losing your family and losing everything, you know, when you can't enjoy the journey? Yeah, and and then and that's that's super powerful. So how have you kind of you know in in this uh, in this time you know big change on the business side, stressful world. You know, you like me have you know um, you know family and, and and young young kids. How have you been kind of 
trying to to keep grounded and um you know and 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 get get some balance in there what are some of the ways that you've been doing that um i think it's from our boss like our wives yeah. <laughs> right you know so basically what the main the main thing for us is that you know um we need to dinner time is an especially important time for our family right and we need to be able to come home on time you can always work later when everybody's asleep uh, but dinner time and having that family connection even as for those two three hours you know is extremely important and when you take yourself out of that world and you put yourself into the world of, you know, like a, a, a primary school or secondary school experiences, you know, oh, dad, I want to try and try out for this competition. You know, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it, you naturally take your business hat off, put it aside and say, this is what is most important. And when you, when you clear your mind from that and you have those connections with your family, it is certainly one beneficial and then two certainly provides that mental wellness and that mental balance that you need as an entrepreneur yeah no that's that that's so true i, I think you know for a lot one of um you know my other guests this season david mullins talked about um you know the fact that the pandemic you know okay well and it's been similar for me you know you you're in an office all the time and you're away and now you're kind of around and while that has some adjustments you know somebody's going to pass in the background while you're on a video call or some noise or something to, to hand but you know but there's also some really good benefits right you you could be around more you could interact in different ways you could get little as i call it like little little doses of oxygen both for you and for them and 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 yeah i mean and that 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 certainly does help so it's really important to kind of find ways to to do that i want to go in a, a different direction now around um you know mission and purpose right uh you you talked about it in a in a different way but I, I i really drew a parallel you know when you're doing change management when you're working through people as you mentioned it becomes really important to as simon sinek says to start with why so when you think about purpose and mission um at excellent stores what 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 is that for for you where are you kind of trying to to, to to hone in and lock in from a purpose standpoint uh, for me and, and my wife as well the one of the major things that we feel is really driving us and really is a major factor in our decisions is that we believe that we are stewards of this company and you know there is a much higher purpose for everything that we do so we've been placed into a position where we're fortunate the way we can hire 300 people and 300 families and how then do we make an impact on these people. Uh, for both my wife and I, we've had many people impact us in powerful ways, right? And when you have those experiences, right, you can't naturally, you can, you know naturally, you want to be able to give that to others as well. So for our purpose is to be able to use it as a platform for good, for be able to get in people started. I think back to my grandparents and my, and, um, and, and my parents, uh, they grew up in a very, poor environment they didn't have anything just than shirts on their back and literally putting coins in a can and that's how they save their money you know uh, i think that they when i look back and hearing the stories of my grandparents and my dad as well they were always people who were able to give a helping hand and that's what our purpose is our purpose is to be able to help uh, get people give people the opportunity to have a get a helping hand to have a step up in life so whether they choose to stay at excellent stores 
or they decide to move on and do something else. At the end of the day, it will impact in people's lives because it's not about, about bottom line and profits. We work with people every day. Um, if we don't help people so that they can help others, uh, what sort of society will we be? You know, at the end of the day, that's, we will all have to meet our maker. And what am I going to say when I do meet my maker? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I hear a lot of sort of pay it forward elements inside there, which is which is really cool. Kind of like you know, you're gonna help you know one set of people, give them a platform. They're gonna help other people, and 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 that that can kind of create um, you know this sort of ongoing expansion, which is which is really cool. When you when you look at Caribbean uh, business, um, you know, you, you've been touching a particular aspect of it, digital transformation, retail, um, etc. But, you know, what, what, what is the sort of a big, big audacious goal um, from, from your standpoint for, for the Excellent Stores group? Um, and how does that kind of connect to, to where you think the Caribbean can go in, in the area of sort of like business and technology and so on? I think my big hairy audacious goal really is to be the number one leader, an online retailer within the Caribbean. Uh, I do believe that our Caribbean identity and as well as the physical logistics and customs and duties and you know all the other tax laws that we have um, does set us apart you know than if we were just living in the, the US or Canada. Um, you know, so there's a lot of other elements, and I think that what we can probably do is that having a regional presence already and having the 62 years of history is be able to provide a lower cost of, you know, a, a lower landed cost of products, whether on the retail side or on the wholesale side, to many other um, businesses and individuals across the Caribbean. So if we can be the number one online retailer. It doesn't necessarily mean that we have to be a physical, have a physical presence. Of course. You use the, you use the, the infrastructure that we have to be supportive of all the other businesses within the islands, whether it be individuals getting a lower cost item or going to your local retailer, whether it be in St. Kitts or St. Martin or wherever it is, right? I can now get, use my economies of scale to be assist your business at the end of the day to be able to help your customers in your local environment mm -hmm. yeah that's great and you know it, it kind of causes me to think about the the things that you have to to continue to get good at the muscles that you've had to build and will kind of have to to continue to build over time so how have you approached um for yourself you know sharpening the saw and you know learning new things and you know figuring out these new capabilities, both for yourself as an individual and then kind of cascading that through your organization? Um, I think same thing. One is that I have a mentor in Canada, right? So being plugged in and connected, you know, to what's happening uh, on the global scale is extremely important. Um, so that's where that mentorship comes in again. Um, at the same time, with the outset of the pandemic, there's so many courses that are online, right, that you can take. Um, you know, I, I was able to get an additional certification where prior to the pandemic, I would have to fly, be away from my family for a couple of months. Uh, now I was able to do that, you know, just by doing it online and doing it from home. Um, how we do that with our, our uh, staff as well is to be able to do the same thing, is to be able to share the knowledge, whether you have... Uh, a, 
uh, course, right, an internal course, or really at the end of the day is, you know, one-on-ones, you know, the, that talk a little bit on uh, at the end of the day, in the afternoon, say, hey, this is where I think you could have done differently, and this is where we can help. And then as well, sending them on a variety of courses. At the end of the day, it's all about be- becoming and keeping, uh, being aware of what's going on in your surroundings. And I think that with the additional infrastructure that we have now and with online and uh, all the news feeds that you get, you can get a lot of the information and you can be aware of what's happening around um, ar- around the world. The only thing now that you challenge, before before it was a challenge of like, you know, whether we fly in to get the knowledge, now you have to find, figure out, okay, what's real news and what's fake news? <laughs> so... Yeah, no, that's 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 absolutely true. Um, you know, as we kind of wrap up here, I get 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 a little introspective um, as you think about lessons along the way. You've shared some great ones as we've as we've talked. You know, for for those folks out there, you know, I always think that you you can innovate in 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 any in any scenario, right? You could be innovating. You know, we we talk a lot with with entrepreneurs and business leaders, but but you know, people are doing innovative things in multiple walks of of, of life and in, in you know, big corporations that they're trying to turn around. So I want you to summarize for me, Alex, like the you know top two or three lessons that that you know you would like to pass along to folks who are trying to build something, trying to create something, and you know they're 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 meeting obstacles along the way. Um, what are top things that you would kind of pass along to to help them on their journey? Uh, sure. I mean, I think that when I think back to even this e-commerce transformation, which is probably one of the hardest things that I had to do uh, within since coming back to Trinidad, um, really is that we needed to start off small. Don't bite off too much that you can chew. Uh, when we were launched this uh, digital transformation, we also tried to change the entire business. We tried to change the logistics. We tried to get everybody understanding what data is when people didn't never use the computer, far less for data. Um, you know, our website needed to be fully integrated into our inventory systems and every and every aspect of enterprise resource planning and having a total all-in-one package to have everything you know uh, we did too much and i think that when you're now starting off or even if you are any project that you want or anything in life it's better to be able to have those small wins get engagement rather than to force it down somebody's throat or if you're in an existing business or if you're in a new business trying to do too much will have unintended consequences, whether it be like your family, whether it be your time, your sleep, or your health. So the biggest thing that I learned was a, is a, really is to get those small wins, right? Start off small and slowly build momentum as you get engagement and as, you know, the reality is and as the money comes in too. So <laughs> that's, that's the biggest thing. If you try yeah. to do too much, inevitably you will fail. That's super, that's, that's just like a super, super, super powerful thing. I mean, you know, Take those incremental steps, you know, crawl, walk, run, um, and, you know, you could build a, a, a great house, but you had to do it brick by brick. So I love that. Well, well, Alex, man, I mean, I, I knew it would be great. It was definitely great. Um, you know, thanks for taking the time to to hang with us and, and, and share some of your experiences with, uh, with uh, our audience out there. Really appreciate the time. Yeah, thanks for having me, and it's, it's been great to, to catch up with you as always. Absolutely, man. All right. Take care.
That was Alex Suchar, CEO of Excellent Stories. You can learn so much from his story as he talks about principles, purpose, and having the willingness to rip up the playbook and not do things the way that they've always been done. Make sure you know the next time an episode of Uptick drops by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. And remember, share Uptick with a friend. Now, on behalf of Caribbean Ideas, this is Chike Farrell signing off. And remember, keep on ticking up.